Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Get A Move On with Amy Slevin. Ames, how are you? I'm all right, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's exciting to record. You know, these are my favorite ones to record, actually. Oh my, no, thanks. <laughs> Ames, having set it up with a lot of pressure for me to enjoy it now, what are we talking about? We're talking about progress, personal progress in relation to movement, not just like human progress over millennia. <laughs> so personal progress in terms of movement and anything else that comes up from that. I mean, one question I have right off the bat is what constitutes progress? Well, what constitutes progress is like when you have either like a sense of improvement or a measurable sense of improvement. And I think measurable is very popular. So for example, if you can do one day zero push-ups, and then in three months time, you can do 20 that's distinctly measurable, right? And there are certain types of movement or exercise that are obviously very measurable, like weight training, very measurable. Because obviously if you start and you like, I don't know, squatting with 10 kilos and then you can build up to 100. And I think a very popular one is like when you get to your own personal body weight and you can, I don't know, bench press or squat or something, your own personal body weight. I know nothing about that because I don't do weight training. But I know that it exists. And, you know, in yoga, for example, some of the most popular kinds of yoga are the ones that are pretty much the same every time because you can distinctly measure your progress. Is that the appealing part, you think, for lots of people of weight training? I think possibly. But I think also, like, there's a real buzz that you get from knowing that you're really strong and knowing that the stuff that you're doing in the weight training, you're pushing yourself really hard and you're going beyond certain limits that you perceive that you had. I think also weight training is a great addition to other sports as well, right? So for example, I think loads of professional athletes, like footballers, basketball players, they all do some kind of resistance and weight training because it has benefits for their game. So it's not just the fact of making progress for the sake of making progress. It's like well making progress on the thing that you're doing and the sport that you're playing i always think that the thing that ties the gym together with some quite geeky activities like world of warcraft is the fact that if you're feeling slightly out of control of your life you can have this one thing where you are quite switched on and you are progressing and you can measure that progress and that's why i've always thought of world of warcraft and the gym as kind of very different versions of the same thing the outcomes are different in terms of one of them's quite cool and the other isn't. Sorry, everyone who goes to the gym. <laughs> but I've always thought about progress in exercise being a form of control and something that's really satisfying to people. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm going to just go to my own sports here, like parkour, handstands. Jesus, when you're doing like a jump, especially a scary jump, and you're like, whoa, and it has risk involved with it, or even if the risk isn't huge, but it's like something that's like either a little bit bigger than you think, 
oh, can I do that? Oh, yes, I can. No, I can't. I don't know. And then you do it. No. Oh my God, I did it. And often it's actually quite underwhelming when you actually finally get to the other side. You're like, oh, okay. All that fucking build up for nothing. Do you find that having a measurable goal in mind though, and having a particular point of progress as something that's aspirational, keeps it meaningful all the way through? Do you think you could do it if it was totally open-ended? I think I could. I'm not sure that that many people can. I think it really depends. I'm not saying that as like, I'm so amazing, therefore I could do that. But we all want to have a sense that we're improving. But then there is also something wonderful in accepting your own mediocrity and your own shitness at something. And that's something that I really had to battle with a lot. I talk about this all the time. It must be so boring to hear about it. <laughs> my knee injury. Like that's one of the things that was trying to teach me was to accept my own mediocrity when I really didn't want to. But it kind of forced me to. It really made me like manage my expectations of myself. So still make progress, but don't necessarily expect of myself to be able to do really crazy stuff. Yeah, and this progress is like a slightly double-edged sword because you can become obsessed about it. There can be this subtle sense of, once I've progressed to this particular point, be that something that's kind of very obvious, like a kilogram weight that you can lift, or like, oh, I can compete at this rough level. I think we all do this thing where we go, and then it'll be okay. Everything will be just fine as soon as we're there. Well, ain't that the truth? And that is... I think universal across all of life, right? I think there are certain kind of key stages of life when we think, okay, well, you know, once I've finished university, everything's going to be okay. Once I've got engaged, everything's going to be amazing. Once I'm married, everything's going to be amazing. Once I have a kid, everything's going to be amazing. And the truth is that moment of everything's amazing lasts for about 0.3 seconds. And, <laughs> and then life becomes ordinary and mediocre again. There's this parkour guy who was working on this really difficult trick and a really difficult move, which involved like some sort of triple flip something or other. And he was working on it for about three and a half years, possibly longer. And he was so determined to get it. And eventually after three and a half years or so, he did get it. And after he did get it, his whole desire for training just died and he just stopped training. So interesting. Because he's like, well, I've reached the ultimate goal. There's no carrot there anymore for me. Why did the carrot not just move? I think possibly because the goal was so great that anything else by comparison just paled into insignificance. Interesting. So the void was almost filled by the size of the task. I think so. That is interesting though, because, you know, like there are lots of people who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible and get bored very quickly and dissatisfied very quickly and want to go even further, even more quickly. So it's interesting in some ways that he didn't. I mean, maybe we can have a chat with him one day and find out what went wrong. It's just a true thing that people are satisfied more and less quickly. I often think about Alex Ferguson, the Man United manager who won all these Premier League titles, he used to celebrate for the day he won it. So if he won the league at eight, he would celebrate until midnight. If he won it first thing in the morning, that would be the day. But the next day he was back to dissatisfied and he was back to, we need to build another squad. And then what happened was in 2016, Leicester City won the league. And that was a massive surprise and that surpassed expectations. So the next year they really dropped off and they looked like they might even get relegated. And someone said, well, look, is it a problem that they're satisfied? Like, 
I know we require total and constant dissatisfaction of our sports people all the time. But like, maybe it's okay to, in this context to be satisfied. You've just won the Premier League. You weren't expecting to. It's like winning a Nobel Prize as an undergraduate or something. Like, you're allowed to not think, okay, well, the next step is to win another Nobel Prize in a different area of science. <laughs> well, I think that is just kind of human nature. We're so addicted to making progress and getting the new thing. And it also reminds me of Dr. Faustus, which is a play that I read when I was at school by Christopher Marlowe. And it's basically the story of Dr. Faustus, who was like this incredibly learned man. And he'd studied law, medicine, I think probably like the sciences and basically everything that there was to study. And he'd achieved all the knowledge that there was to achieve at that time in every single one of those subjects. And he was dissatisfied every time. And then eventually he thinks, okay, well, like I've learned everything. What else is there to learn? And the only thing left is the necromantic arts. What the fuck are the necromantic arts? <laughs> you mean you don't know? I mean, I mean, I know very little about very little, but the necromantic arts are especially outside that zone. Oh, well, this is actually my total area of expertise because it's black magic or dark magic, whatever you want to call it. And so he basically ends up selling his soul to the devil in exchange for the devil teaching him all these like necromantic arts, all the black magic and all these like silly things. And he signs away his entire soul for all eternity. And then what happened is COVID hit and all the lectures were online. <laughs> he was there with his camera off on Zoom, playing rapid games of chess on one tab and not listening on the other. And he thinks, Jesus, I'm paying nine grand and I've sold my soul. <laughs> yeah, totally. So he has like 25 years or whatever it is from when he makes his pact with the devil until his death to do all sorts of nonsense with the devil. And literally is nonsense. They do all sorts of like really frivolous, silly things. And I think he has sex with Helena of Troy or something like that. Okay, well now I understand the soul selling. Well, exactly. Well worth it. There's a few people who are like historically really paying. She's one of them. You have Helen of Troy, you have Cleopatra. She was around like in the 1900s, but like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, babe. Yeah, she seems old time. The other guy who seems like old time good looking. Jesus, when he died when he was 24 was James Dean. No, wasn't he in the 27th club? Oh shit, he might have been 27. Sorry, the fact I meant about James Dean is that he was only in two movies. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He was just in My Time to Die or Fast and Furious or something shit a streetcar named desire no rebel without a cause and it was like so iconic and it was like the advent of the teenager there weren't really teenagers before that and it like started and captured the teenage movement so everyone was like yeah you're gonna have a lot of sex before you die when you're 27. <laughs> so he obviously sold his soul to the devil too so anyways the whole point of dr faustus is that like it's just indicative and exemplary of the human condition of we are never satisfied with what we have and even when he had done all of this stuff with the devil, he still wasn't quite satisfied. And then it's his time to die. And he's like, oh shit, well, I didn't actually achieve much here in the last 25 years with you. Thanks, devil. Because what he was after was satisfaction. Yeah. And all they did was like silly, frivolous stuff. That's so funny. It would have been a slightly more apt example had he achieved everything he wanted, but realized that actually like satisfaction is really hard to get to rather than, oh, well, he's just dicking around with Helen of Troy. Exactly. I mean, he should have tried learning handstands instead. There is a significant lesson here, which is we often give up large proportions of our life. And I read today nine in 10 Americans feel like the stress of work impacts their personal life at least significantly, if not more. 
And we do tend to give up big parts of our life so that we can make certain kinds of progress. And then it turns out that actually the type of satisfaction we want from the progress never arrives. The thing that I think is always really interesting is the bit at the end. So you might conclude then, okay, so the point is to stop striving for stuff. And that's kind of where I perceive the hippies live. They've correctly identified that satisfaction isn't this thing that ever arrives. And they see all of the striving to get there and they think, what a fucking waste of time. Please pass the joint. You know, it's that kind of relationship. They've got the wrong end of the right stick, if you know what I mean. Hippies and 95-hour-a-week bankers are the same people. They're both just very committed to different sides of the exact same coin. Whereas I think the thing that's hard to achieve is, I know satisfaction never really comes, but the journey is kind of interesting enough that I'll live with a chronic sense of slight dissatisfaction because I'm in this world of meaning as opposed to this world of either achievement is everything, i.e. bankers, or you kind of lose the meaning because you've lost the pursuit, i.e. hippies. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you bring that up, actually, because these last few weeks, I've had a real kind of sense of that. And I mean, it kind of also comes down to like comparing your current reality with an unobtainable fantasy or something that you want to happen that isn't necessarily happening. I kind of have had this sense like I'm filling my time with the pursuit of something and in the pursuit of that I've sacrificed a whole lot of other stuff that brings me joy and so I'm kind of like doing the slog which at the moment feels pretty unrewarding and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this out loud in the real world <laughs> but yeah like it has felt pretty unrewarding and I'm just like what am I doing when for example I've been doing parkour like I've been doing a bit more parkour recently and I'm just absolutely loving it and feeling my own sense of progress in parkour and just like even if I'm not doing that amazing stuff if I'm not making that much progress in parkour just the fact that I'm there doing it and jumping around and moving my body just brings me immense joy but there isn't enough of it in my life to balance out the lack of joy in other stuff that I'm doing so even though the other stuff is on the way to this satisfaction this kind of bigger picture stuff I think the lesson for me is to delegate more. I was going to say two things, either delegate more. Sometimes what I do, because I'm a bit scared of the thing, is I set up artificial barriers. So I was thinking about doing a PhD for a bit. And the idea was if I did a PhD, it would make me better placed to have conversations with certain types of people. The advice I got was, no, that's really dumb. You're just avoiding having the conversations. And you've just decided that you need a PhD to do it. So I guess the question I'd ask is, are you putting up potentially barriers to doing the thing right now such that it's actually not such a long-term game it's more a short-term game it's just there's a sense of oh right now it would be a bit scary or a bit something to go straight in it's more like i have this perception that the process of being self-employed or whatever requires a lot of sacrifice and requires hard work and doing stuff as a one-man band that is required in order to make the progress that is kind of my perception of it. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is just part of the situation, part of the process and whatever. And therefore I've kind of been so focused on that, that I don't allow myself necessarily as much time away from that to do more of the stuff that I love to do. Like every day I would love to be able to do more stuff. And there was a time when I was doing that, giving myself an hour or an hour and a half or whatever to do an online class or go and do more parkour or whatever and then I stopped for a while and so you know in the time in the last few weeks when I haven't been doing that as much I've been feeling like my life is a little 
devoid of joy, shall we say, except for example, when I'm interacting with my clients, that is like a time of joy. I mean, obviously podcasting too, <laughs> like everything around it and the kind of whole business strategy is just not my vibe. But I perceive that I'm supposed to do that in order to get to where I want to get to. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I'll accept that sacrifice. No, I know what you mean. Like, that's the point about being self-employed. Until you can find a way to delegate effectively, you have to do all of it. And it's unrealistic to think all of it is going to be up your street. Like, you came to being a businesswoman through the lens of, I want to do movement, not I want to be a businesswoman. I mean, there are people who are so entrepreneurial and that's the bit that they get a kick out of. They just look for available entrepreneurial projects. So the point is the entrepreneurship rather than the activity where the entrepreneurship is the thing that makes it financially sustainable. It's such a real thing that. I remember being on this course once and one of the things I remember them saying was like something along the lines of you want to work on your business, not work in your business. And I see that there is, you know, definite value in that because obviously you want to expand and grow and get bigger and stuff. But then when I'm doing that, when I'm working on my business, I'm not working so much in my business and it's working in my business that is the thing that brings me the joy. And so I'm doing more of the shit that doesn't bring me joy in the hope that it's going to bring me more of the stuff that does bring me joy. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but I have this perception that it's not bringing me as much joy as I would like it to. And therefore I get burnt out and resentful. Yeah, it's such an interesting point And it's a really good thing to bring up because I think lots of self-employed people go in chasing the carrot of the thing they like and then get bogged down by Instagram marketing and business strategy and investing. It's why startups work at the start 110 hour weeks and they employ a business operations manager and they work 60 hours a week because they don't have to do all the shit bits. I think this is probably such a real thing for so many people who are self-employed. And the answer is delegate if you can delegate. And if you can't, you've got to link, right? And we should actually just talk a little bit about what linking means. Yeah, and I think some of it does come down to belief. And there's the success loop where you have belief. You have to believe that you're going to get the results that you want. And when you believe, then there's potential. And then when there's potential, then you're more likely to take action to do the stuff that needs to happen in order for you to get the results that you want. And then when you do get the results, then your belief increases like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I can see that there's definite possibility here. So you get the results and then your belief increases and then there's more potential. And then there wasn't more potential, then you take more action, etc., etc. That's exactly right. And it's why I think when people are successful and they say, and thank you to this person, they believed in me. I think it's not just a cliche and it's not just sort of a sweet sounding thing. It starts a loop where if you really are backed by someone, where you can then go and be out in the world and making progress. But it just takes that first initial push. And so much of life is momentum. And you get feedback. Like, it's only after you've had a conversation with someone that makes you think, God, I really could do this thing, that you then go and feel energized because you think it's not impossible that this is something I really could go and do. It's such an important point. Yeah. And I think the belief is so important in so many areas. Like, not only if you're self-employed, but sometimes in movement. So sometimes when you're trying to achieve a thing in movement and you don't believe that you can do it, sometimes you do get pleasantly surprised and like, whoa, I did that thing. And that I find really cool and fun when I'm teaching, when I'm like, I can see this person doesn't think that they can do this thing. And then they have a go and they're like, whoa, I did it. That is 
amazing, right? That's the fun stuff, right? That's the satisfaction and that's the progress. Like I had the same thing. Like when I was starting yoga, I was practicing with my ex-boyfriend and I was doing this stuff and I was like, this is impossible. And I was like, I literally thought I'm never, ever going to be good at this. And I was so overwhelmed and frustrated by my sense of ineptitude that I was just like, I'm never, ever going to get good at this. And it was my ex-boyfriend who was like, yes, you will. Yes, you will. He just saw my potential, basically. He just pushed me and he was like, just keep practicing, keep practicing. And he obviously, it's not just a question of practicing. It also was like technique and doing a bit of this and adjusting this thing and that thing. And then I eventually got there, but I totally did not believe in myself at the beginning. But then I knew that there were certain things that I really wanted to achieve and I was addicted to the progress. And I kind of spent, you know, an entire summer, for example, practicing a thing called a forearm balance or a pinch of my arsena because I was so addicted to the progress. I didn't believe that I would ever be able to do it. And I remember being in his garden kicking up and falling over, kicking up and falling over, kicking up. And he was just like, he came outside and was like, stop kicking. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, stop kicking and just try and float up. And I was like, are you kidding? There is no way. I could not fathom how that was possible. And now I work with people who are like, I don't see how that's possible. If I'm trying to teach them to float in this thing, instead of kicking, again, when you have that belief, or even if you just you know, there's an inkling of taking the steps towards that little bit of progress and you will get the results. And then the results are amazing. And then you want more like Dr. Faustus and then you want something else and then you want handstands. And then that's a whole other can of worms. I really like that because it illustrates the point that you just need the initial belief, which is either internal or external. But it's also why it's important actually to just go do stuff. Because you inevitably surprise yourself by the fact that you can do things. And it gives you the opportunity to receive feedback that you can internalize and go, okay, I did improve a little bit there. So something good's happening. And you can get into the inaction loop as well, right? Which is, I don't have the belief because I've never done it. So I've never had the feedback that I can do it, which means things aren't possible. And if things aren't possible, well, I'm not going to bother because things aren't possible. Totally. And I think sometimes something can seem so enormous and so overwhelming that you think, how on earth am I even going to begin? And that is when you have to have little bite-sized pieces. So breaking stuff down, regardless of whether it's a movement thing or a life thing or a business thing or whatever it is, breaking stuff down into little tiny pieces and just building slowly is really important because that is the thing that you can take action on which then will help you little hints of results which will increase your belief but just also a fun thing is if you're about to do something and someone says I don't think you can do that and then you're like really what I don't know if I can but because you said I can't I'm gonna have a go and I'm gonna do it yeah even if you don't think that you can do it part of you thinks a little bit that you can and the fact that that part isn't being acknowledged pisses you off Totally. God, that is a good feeling, hey? Oh my God, yeah. Proving someone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Ames, I'm conscious that we veered from physical progress, but I'm very glad that we have. Is there anything else you want to say about kind of making progress in your physical practice? Sometimes it's nice to have a goal and a little carrot to dangle in front of your nose. Sometimes also fantastic just to enjoy being where you are 
and cliche upon cliche, enjoying the journey. Because if you get so fixated on the outcome, that can sometimes take away the joy of the process. But when you're able to find joy in the process of what you're doing, that makes it so much more tolerable and meaningful to actually do those things that you need to do in order to get the thing. Yeah, the problem with cliches is they end up all being absolutely meaningful and absolutely true. It's like Disney fucked it up. (laughs) Hey, Disney fucked up so many things. Disney has fucked up so many relationships, so many little girls' perceptions of the world, uh, probably little boys' perceptions of the world too, you know, Snow White and all that rubbish. Snow White and all that rubbish. Well, I think that's a brilliant place to leave us. (laughs) Cool. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Get to Move On with Amy Slavin. This has been Jamie, and we'll be back, as always, next week. Thanks, everyone. That was Get to Move On with Amy Slavin. If you enjoyed that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. And if you didn't enjoy that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. Thanks for listening.